Alrighty, and we are live, guys. Welcome to Staking Mondays. My name is Ken. I'm here with the co-founder of Staking Rewards, Merkel Schmiedel. And today we have with us McLean Wilkinson, the co-founder and CEO of NewCypher. NewCypher is a data privacy layer. And today we have with us McLean Wilkinson. Sorry for that echo, guys. And uh, of course, NewCypher is a privacy layer for blockchain, blockchain and decentralized applications. Uh, McLean is also a major contributor to the Threshold Network. He's a software engineer and former tech media and telecommunications investment baker at Morgan Stanley. Well, let's jump right into it, guys. Lightning round of questions. McLean, uh, what was your first investment outside of BTC? Uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. So first investment outside of BTC. Um, or did you say also... So, my first investment outside of BTC was that was actually uh, ETH. Um, so I, I I got started in blockchain. Um, I was working out of a, a co-working space in, in south of San Francisco, San Francisco called Hacker Dojo. And this was back in 2013, 2014. And I remember that uh, they were having some weird meetup about something called smart contracts, which I had no idea what that was. But I, I wandered into the room and and Vitalik was on his roadshow, you know, for the for the ETH ICO, and you know, basically telling everyone about this thing that he was working on. Um, so I ended up uh, participating in the basically throwing uh, the small amount of, of Bitcoin that I, I owned at the time uh, into the the ETH ICO and, and participating there, and then obviously falling down the, the rabbit hole of Bitcoin and ETH and you know everything else uh, over the next few months and years. That's awesome. Great story there. And um, what, what do you think currently, what is the most underrated crypto project um, outside of like Threshold and New Cypher? Hmm. Most underrated crypto project. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, I think actually Gearbox is a super interesting one. Um, so that's uh, basically a, almost like composable leverage uh, protocol. Um, so I'm actually using that. I think they have like a guarded launch where they're only offering a certain amount. I think it's like Forex leverage. I'm using that to yield farm stable coins. I think I'm super excited for, for the stuff that, that they're working on um, over the next few months and as they sort of scale up and, and launch their V2. Very cool. And yield farming stable coins, sound strategy. Uh, which alternative crypto privacy project inspired you most? Uh, I, I mean, I think Zcash is, is is obviously like the the one that a lot of people look to as as really doing an amazing job of like introducing what at the time was very cutting edge and new to uh, cryptography that people hadn't been hadn't been used in production uh, earnestly until sort of Zcash first did it with zkps. Um, and I think that's what's super exciting about the crypto space in general is that you're able to sort of bring these very new, very novel, um, and exciting crypto primitives into production much more quickly um, into a much more sort of like uh, amenable audience who's interested to try these things out um, than, you know, outside the space. Cool. Um, and who in the crypto industry do you respect the most or like who, who inspired you the most during your crypto journey? Uh, I think I've been super, super fortunate at, at NewCypher to work with some amazing people, uh, including uh, our, the co-founder of NewCypher, who I worked with a lot uh, in the early days, Michael Igorov, who now is the, the founder of Curve. Um, so I think that the early team at, at NewCypher, incredibly underrated and has spawned out a bunch of very interesting projects. So Michael with, with Curve, Tux now more recently with Entropy, 
uh, Ravital with, with Sunscreen. So there's been an unbelievably uh, strong group of early contributors in New Cypher that I was incredibly fortunate to have worked with. Awesome and refreshing answer as well. Uh, most of our guests, you know, default right to Vitalik, but um, it's great to hear that Michael was here. Uh, I mean, I, I respect Vitalik a lot as well, of course. <laughs> Uh, and how much of your portfolio is currently staked? Give me a percentage. Uh, I mean, percentage-wise, it's got to be upwards of, well, depending on what you mean by staked. Um, so upwards of 75%, I would imagine. Well, essentially all of my ETH is staked uh, with, with Lido and ETH2. Um, and then obviously, like, the you know, if you consider the, 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 the leverage stablecoin uh, farming that I'm doing with Gearbox, um, that's LP. So I don't know if that would be considered staked or not. Yeah, more more or less, I think. So, um, and then what is an activity you do to relax from white crypto markets? What do you do for fun? Yeah, so we I, I lived out here in Texas for about a year and a half, but we're moving here from from the Bay Area, and there's a lot of good uh, hiking and natural parks around, um, you know, with rivers and, and interesting. Uh, you know, ways to just sort of escape the city and, and relax a little bit and, and decompress. So we like to do that. That's cool. Amazing. And uh, guys, stay, stay tuned for the episode here. Today we'll talk about uh, future of privacy tokens, uh, issues with multi-chain bridges. We'll talk about how much Bitcoin will be bridged to Ethereum and uh, we talk about decentralized mergers. So stay tuned here. Um, it's going to be a, a great episode and I'm really looking forward to it. Also, make sure to drop some questions here if you if you have anything for McLean. Um, just put it in the chat box and we'll answer it at the end of the show. Absolutely. And today's episode is sponsored by Lido Finance. Funny we mention it. Lido is the market-leading liquid staking solution. With Lido, you can stake your Ethereum, Solana, and Terra while keeping full liquidity via staking derivatives. The staking derivatives you use in multiple DeFi applications to generate additional yield. And of course, guys, keep those community questions coming throughout the episode here. We'll be sure to ask at the end. All right, McLean. So what led to New Cypher and Keep Network merging? Yeah, so New Cypher and Keep um, both have been around as projects since uh, at least 2017, if you know, in New Cypher's case, more like 2016, but they've sort of been in sort of around the block in, in terms of crypto projects. But at this point, you know, both four-ish years old. Um, and we had been, you know, aware of each other, you know, interacted with, with each other at conferences and, you know, just different events in the space. And, um, of all the different projects in, in the ecosystem, Keep and New Cypher were like, Keep was the closest to New Cypher in terms of, I think, architecture. In other words, it's like a layer two, um, sort of quasi layer two network that sits on top of Ethereum with a work token that provides a service. Uh, and both were focused on, on threshold cryptography. And so it was almost like looking in, in a weird mirror a little bit when we would you know, look over at Keep and I'm sure the same uh, for them looking at, at New Cypher. And I think it became like pretty obvious that eventually these two networks were gonna converge towards the same or very similar use cases. Um, so one of those was you know, obviously like the sort of cross-chain asset bridges use case that, that Keep has with TBTC. Uh, and then another big use case was the one that we were more focused on in the near term around data privacy and access control. Uh, with proxy re-encryption. And I think it became kind of obvious that like, okay, like we could either, basically our two communities and two networks and two sets of stakers and node operators and ecosystems could stay separate and basically compete with each other over these these same use cases. Or maybe there's some way that we could 
figure out a way to basically smush together these two networks and these two communities and do everything on, on one platform and in one ecosystem. And if we were able to do that, I think the question was then like, is that more powerful and more valuable and just more effective and more useful for the world than if we were to continue um, as two separate independent networks? That's amazing. And it is certainly like one of the first times in history that has been done. Um, I know there are a few others like uh, Polygon, they also like acquired some other like decentralized networks and so on. But mm -hmm. like, like for, for you, like New Cypher and Keep and like <coughs> merging the two teams and merging the technology and everything, like what was the biggest challenge for you guys that you, that you face and, and still yeah. facing as well? Yeah, so I, I think what's what's super interesting about about the new Cypher Keep threshold merger is that it was truly a decentralized merger, and that it's the networks that are getting merged together, not you know the the contributing teams, not you know uh, the new Cypher Dev team, the Keep Dev team are separate entities still, and basically both have become essentially like client teams or contributing teams to this new uh, combined network. Um, but the entire process was bottoms up. So you can go back and look at, you know, the, the respective governance forums for both projects. And you can kind of see like the initial proposals and then the iteration of those proposals as community members basically collaborated and iterated on this design and, and trying to figure out some sort of structure uh, that would make sense for both networks, both communities and all the different stakeholders within that, within those networks. So it's like, that was the most challenging pieces. It was, trying to basically invent this process for how to do a decentralized merger, which is run by the respective communities. And you have to get buy-in from like a huge number of stakeholders, which is you know, not necessarily the case in a traditional like M&A, like centralized approach where you have two management teams, two board of directors that basically can are, are have a fiduciary duty for the rest of the shareholders and can make those decisions. And when you're merging two decentralized networks, you have, two sets of token holders, you have two sets of stakers, you have a bunch of different infrastructure providers on the network like, that are running nodes for people. You have centralized custodians, you have decentralized exchanges, you have LPs. So it, it becomes like very complex very quickly and figuring out how to align the incentives of all of those different uh, participants in the network in the open, in public, on Discord channels and discourse forums is uh is very difficult um but I, i think it was it was it was very difficult but also a very fun and, and sort of interesting and novel uh experience to witness yeah and interesting that you have some m a experience from a traditional finance background earlier in life as well and you know maybe that helped uh, you work through that process of this decentralized merger um so what happens to the new and keep contracts and tokens once the merge has been fully completed Sure. So both the new and keep token contracts are, of course, immutable ERC-20 token contracts. Uh, they can't be changed. We can't force people to, to migrate to T. Um, you know, basically people have to opt in to this new network. So if you are a new token holder or a keep token holder, you can uh, essentially upgrade your tokens into T at a fixed conversion ratio. Uh, using the what we call the vending machine upgrade contracts. So basically you, you wrap your, your existing tokens in the vending machine contract and you receive back the upgraded T tokens. Uh, so that's the token contracts. And then of course, like both networks and systems have a, a set of other smart contracts that run like the, the service, the protocol that's being, uh, that's being provided by the protocol. In the case of New Cypher, there's like a staking contract. 
um, in a policy manager contract for, for proxy re-encryption. And so the staking contract basically um, is responsible obviously for holding people stakers tokens in escrow, and then also emitting uh, inflation rewards to stakers. So what happened as part of the merge process is that new Cypher stakers basically voted to freeze the uh, inflation and stop inflation so that the total supply of new Cypher tokens is now frozen forever. And that allows us to basically fix the, um, the new Cypher to T conversion factor. Um, and so that required basically a DAO, uh, a DAO uh, proposal and, and votes to, to pass that um, on chain. Uh, and so once that happened, basically we were able to deploy the contracts, people were able to start migrating over and the problem, one of the more sort of thorny technical problems we had with the merger was that <clears throat> a lot of people, like, I think it's about 60 or 60 plus percent of the network had their tokens staked and locked in that staking escrow contract. And so we needed some way basically to grandfather those people into threshold network while they're still locked up in that staking contract. Um, there's a very similar situation on the keep side where they have a lot of stakers that are locked as well. And so we basically had to uh, had to do a lot of work on this new threshold staking contract to basically grandfather those people in and be able to recognize the existing legacy new and keep stakes as valid T stakes. Um, and then eventually those stakes will unlock and they'll be able to you know formally upgrade those those now liquid tokens into T. Um, but in the interim, basically, like the threshold staking contract kind of has to um, understand that those those contracts exist and recognize them as, as valid stakes really cool and uh th th it's great to see that you really gone like through that process of creating like a truly decentralized merger process um which is amazing and uh mm -hmm. alongside that like you're also going to be uh launching like the first truly decentralized uh bitcoin to ethereum bridge mm -hmm. uh correct me if i'm wrong like the tbtc bridge uh, version 2 Yep. Um, like how does that work in detail and like what, what are the risks? Maybe you can walk us a little bit through uh, that bridge design. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're super excited about, about TBTC v2 and TBTC, for, for those who don't know, is um, a decentralized uh, Bitcoin bridge, uh, v1 of which ran on the Keep network. And then um, there was a group uh, of new Cypher community members who were exploring the viability of building like a new BTC. And that was kind of one of the drivers for us to, for the community to pursue this merge is because we thought, hey, instead of uh, launching like the competitive version of that, we can collaborate on version two of TBTC and, and hopefully build something uh, better. And so basically from V1 to V2, uh, in V1, basically the way that it works is you replace this idea of a centralized custodian. So if you take wrapped Bitcoin as a comparable, you know, you have Bitcoin, you want to use it on Ethereum or some other smart contract platform. You send your Bitcoin to a centralized custodian like BitGo. They hold on to it for you. They issue you a tokenized representation of that uh, on Ethereum or some other chain. TBTC essentially just replaces that centralized custodian with a decentralized network of, of signers using uh, distributed key generation and threshold signatures. Um, and in V1, that was a three of three signer set. And each of those signers basically had to put up, uh, they had to over collateralize. <clears throat> so they had to over collateralize the Bitcoin that they would custody by 150% uh, in ETH, which meant basically that it was very, very expensive uh, in terms of opportunity cost to, to be a signer and a staker in that network. Um, and so basically what that, that had, what that ended up doing in practice is it limited the minting capacity for TBTC v1 
because you always had to like keep over collateralizing in order to increase the capacity. Uh, TBTC v2 basically tries to fix that by removing the collateralization requirement entirely and relying on an honest majority assumption uh, with an insurance backstop. And so what that means in practice is signer sets go from three of three to 51 of 100. And the, you know e for each deposit, basically you select a um, signer set of 100 signers out of the, you know, out of this, out of the stakers and threshold network, which is several thousand. Uh, and then as long as 51 of 100 of them agree and reach quorum, they can mint or redeem uh, Bitcoin. And then, of course, that that opens like the possibility of, you know, in an extreme case of like collusion, if 51 of 100 of those signers <clears throat> collude or become malicious and steal Bitcoin, um, there is a insurance backstop that's called the coverage pools. And the coverage pools basically would be used to uh, backstop any kind of um, uh, economic loss for depositors in the event of a long tail um, like collusion event. Um, so people can deposit uh, initially T tokens and potentially in the future other assets as well into that coverage pool. And they'll earn a yield for doing that. And then that would serve as like this sort of ultimate final backstop in, in the unlikely scenario that there is um, you know, a malicious uh, signer set. And so the, the idea is we basically remove this um, for all practical purposes, have removed the minting capacity limit. And so TBTCV2 can scale up to uh, very high, very high amounts. I think we have an initial goal of um, 100,000 100, Bitcoin. Uh, and then hopefully, I think as it proves itself over time, we want to attract a lot more incremental Bitcoin that's never bridged over to Ethereum, never bridged into DeFi, because they would never trust you know, a centralized custodian. But maybe they would trust a, a proven uh, decentralized immutable network. That's amazing. And so like the the staking economics of threshold networks, they basically are like the the insurance fund for like any BTC that's bridged, right? And that doesn't mean right. that like the more BTC is bridged, um, it's gonna be like uh, uh, a price pressure or like price appreciation for the T tokens. Um because it, it always has to be kind of in 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 line, right? With like the uh, the yep. price of the coverage pool and the BTC bridge. Yeah, so I, I don't want to directly comment on price, but I think your understanding is you know, probably more or less correct. Um, but I, I will say there's like there's two components here. There's there's I actually don't we don't consider uh, coverage pool staking. So coverage pools is like a very um, uh, essentially like passive, you know deposit. You deposit your tokens into the coverage pool. You receive a yield for taking on that risk and basically being paid for being an, effectively an insurance backstop. Um, but you don't have to run a node if you're deposited into the coverage pools. Now, if you're staking on the threshold network, that does imply running a node. So you stake in threshold and then you, you authorize the different applications that you want to run a node for in threshold network. One of those is being a TPTC v2 signer. Another could be running a random beacon node. Another could be running a proxy encryption node. And you can authorize, you can basically reuse the same stake across applications. So if you want to maximize your, your rewards and your payments, you would just run all of the, all of the services. Um, so there's, there's like two components. Um, if you're staking, that implies like the active participation of running a node, being a signer, sort of making sure that you're keeping up with all like the, the, the software upgrades for, for the nodes and, and all of that. And then if you're depositing into the coverage pools, um, 
you're not having to do that sort of active uh, running of a node. So it's, it's more similar to being like an LP, um, for example, and like a V2 pool. Very, very interesting. And you kind of already mentioned the 100,000 BTC that you want to target as a goal uh, to bridge over here. But how much BTC do you expect to be bridged? And further than that 100K, what are your targets in the next, call it two to five years? Sure. So I think there's around like 20K BTC that's like soft committed uh, to the bridge. Um, and then I think in the near term, obviously, the goal is that you know, we want to provide uh, one, yield opportunities for people to earn yield on their Bitcoin. And then two, way other ways to use uh, their their Bitcoin, um, for example, taking out loans. So there's actually a super interesting community driven project um, for Threshold called Threshold USD. And this team is basically in the process of, of forking liquidity, uh, which is a you know, ETH lending protocol <clears throat> and replacing ETH with uh, TBTC. And so basically, if, you all, if you're a Bitcoin holder, you can use the bridge, the V2 bridge to cross over into ETH. You can take out a loan in Threshold USD against your Bitcoin. And then now you have, you, know, you can you do whatever you want with that Threshold USD. You can go pursue yield opportunities with it. You can swap it to USDC or Tether and go buy a house. Um, and I think that that actually Threshold USD is a super interesting project in its own right. Um, even beyond like the 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 benefits it has for TBTC, but it's now like a decentralized uh, Bitcoin backed stablecoin, which I think is is a pretty interesting uh, primitive for for DeFi, um, just you know in in its own right. Um, so that's what we're focused on right now is basically just creating these opportunities, yield opportunities, consumption opportunities, use opportunities for people on the other side of the bridge. Um, and hopefully attracting a lot of, um, you know, frankly, like WBTC's market share over into TBTC um, in the short term. And then in the longer term, uh, just bridging over a bunch of idle Bitcoin um, that so far has, has never engaged with, uh, with DeFi previously. That's cool. And do, do you see any other use cases outside of like using it as collateral for Bitcoin on Ethereum? And like, what, what do you think in general is like the, the future of, of Bitcoin on Ethereum or like of Bitcoin in general as well. Like, do you, do you think like most of it would be bridged there because there's so much utility on Ethereum then for it? Yeah. Yeah. So I think using it as collateral to take out loans or to lend out is, is one big use case. Uh, another big use case would be like yield farming opportunities. So just LPing uh, in, 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 in pool twos with Bitcoin. Um, that we actually have, uh, there is a TPTC V2 pool on, on Curve right now that's that's not incentivized yet, but uh, Threshold DAO is building up a lot of its own protocol and liquidity and, and Curve and Convex governance power. So I expect that the DAO would want to sort of direct some some CRV and CVX emissions to that TPTC V2 pool at some point in the future. Um, we also, I think there's pools on Saddle and uh, mstable as well that, that are currently incentivized so there will be sort of these other yield opportunities to earn earn with your bitcoin uh once you've crossed the bridge um and then sorry can you repeat what was the second part of the question um just like for for bitcoin in general like do, do you think right. um, what, what it'll end up happening yeah so um obviously like our, our the focus for the bridge is first on eth l1 but what's interesting about how we've done the V2 bridge is that we separated the, the minting component and the custody component. 
so you can custody BTC uh, on the V2 on the V2 bridge, and then theoretically you don't even have to mint uh, TBTC. So you could custody and just take out a loan in, in Threshold USD potentially without ever minting a token. So for people in certain tax jurisdictions, you might want to avoid, for example, like some sort of tax tax event. Um, or it's pretty straightforward for us to start adding uh, the ability to mint on L2s, on other smart contract platforms um, that have demand for Bitcoin and that have yield opportunities or other usage opportunities for, for BTC holders. Um, so that's something that I think we would look to do uh, once we've got the bridge running on ETH L1 is you know, launching on some of these L2s, potentially launching on, on, on non-EVM chains as well if, if they have a, a strong DeFi ecosystem where there's opportunities for Bitcoin holders. Yeah, this is this is all super exciting. I know a few family members and friends that uh, have been waiting to unlock the full potential of their Bitcoin and start participating in DeFi. So this bridge, you know, certainly seems like a, a good way to do that. Um, so, what are the further use cases for the Threshold Network after the TBTC bridge? Yep. So the the other the basically the first application um, that'll be launching on Threshold even before TBTC, which is or V two, which is probably going to happen in Q two. Yeah. But the first application will be proxy re-encryption. And proxy re-encryption is the primitive that was running uh, on the new Cypher network previously. And proxy re-encryption is primarily used for uh, data privacy and access controls. So the idea is that, you know, if you are, let's say like a, you know, I don't know if this is like in practice a good use case, but it's easy to understand. Let's say you're building like a medical records application that you want to make decentralized and you want people to upload their encrypted medical records to IPFS or, or some decentralized storage layer. Uh, you could do that today, like you encrypt the medical records, you upload them, but at that point, you as the patient, of course, are the only one who can access them because you're the only one with the private key. But it's only useful if like, you can actually grant access or share that data with your doctor, hospital, insurance provider. And so what proxy re-encryption allows you to do is it allows you to, a node can basically re-encrypt data from one key into another key uh, atomically without decrypting in the middle. So you as the patient can say, hey, I want to share my data. Hey, hey, new Cypher, now Threshold Network, I want to share my data with Dr. Bob. And the network can re-encrypt the data so that Dr. Bob can decrypt it with his private key. And what's special about that is the new Cypher network, the Threshold Network, never see the data. They just re-encrypt it. The storage layer never sees the data. They just see encrypted data in, encrypted data out. And so you can build this end-to-end -end, uh, encrypted access control layer, uh, which fits very well kind of in this decentralized public network context uh, using threshold proxy re-encryption as a primitive. And so there's a bunch of projects that are building, you know, different, uh, different types of applications with that. One a popular sort of um, use pattern is like conditional encryption where you're a content creator, you're creating some kind of content, whether it's like an encrypted video stream, songs, they could decentralize Spotify or something. And you only want people to have access to that if they've made some sort of payment to your address or if they've subscribed, for example. And so you could condition this re-encryption or this access on such a, a, such a payment. That's beautiful. Yeah, I can, I can really see um, that being extremely useful in a world of, of blockchains where everything is like, completely transparent and uh, mm -hmm. obviously you don't want to share anything like all your all your private details and everything but you still want to utilize blockchains um so yeah 100 percent see that use case there um 
like going back a little bit to like the the bridges or like generally like those like bridges are kind of thresholds we, we could say and like where do you see like the the biggest uh problems or like the most common problems of like all the bridges in the current multi-chain universe like yeah yeah, yeah like yeah yeah so i i think like with with threshold we're the design for v2 is is very well specifically designed for for bitcoin and you know i guess like bitcoin forks um are also you know theoretically good fit so you can imagine the v2 design would be like a sort of an optimal bridge for you know like forks of bitcoin like bitcoin cash doge etc um and the reason is that bitcoin doesn't have uh sophisticated like very rich smart contracts so you can't actually like custody tokens in a smart contract like you might be able to do with more expressive chains um so i think like you theoretically can use the same v2 bridge design to connect any any chains like ethereum to solana or wherever um but i don't know if, i can't say for sure i'm not an expert on the other bridges i don't know if the v2 design is like optimal for bridging smart contract platforms to each other whereas it is optimal in our view for bridging bitcoin to other chains or other smart contract platforms um so we are also like hyper focused on on bitcoin specifically to start um for that reason and also for the reason that you know bitcoin is still the, the largest crypto asset by a very significant margin um and we want to to unlock that um basically unlock that as collateral um for all of DeFi. but i, I think the biggest issue with the existing bitcoin bridges is that frankly they're they're centralized and which is you know fine if you're if you live in certain jurisdictions like if you live in the us and you're able to do kyc aml for for bitco and they're willing to serve you as a customer like it works fairly well um but ultimately you're still reliant on this centralized custodian to stay in business to you know do what they say they're going to do um which you know if you're a hardcore bitcoin og and you're like strongly into the not your keys not your coins ethos that that might not be acceptable for you and then if you're outside of the us or outside of europe or you know in a country where you're not able to easily pass bitco's uh kyc aml requirements um like i you're basically like if you live in china or a lot of countries in the world you're straight up out of luck like you're not going to ever be able to do business with you know wbtc and tbtc is just a protocol so it you just interact with a smart contract it's permissionless it's decentralized you know it's open for for anyone to use yeah, speaking even more on uh, decentralized nature being a benefit, what if your country undergoes sanctions like we're seeing with the current world news and that affects your ability to interact with these uh, centralized custodians? Yeah, so there's so many reasons why a decentralized solution makes sense here. Um, so getting back into the staking economics discussion, what are the main differences between staking economics of New Cypher and Threshold Network? Sure. So I think with, with Threshold Network, the the main difference between Threshold and Cypher and Keep is that Threshold is a multi-application network, whereas Cypher was um, just proxy encryption, Keep was more or less just TBTC. Uh, and so that was the most challenging um, aspect of designing like the Threshold staking system was, one, we have to account for multiple applications, and we have to account for the possibility to add more applications in the future. Uh, so making it modular from an application standpoint 
And then also on the other side of that, we had to account for people that staked just tea, uh, vanilla tea. And then we also had to grandfather in, like I said before, the existing legacy new and keep stakers. So we had to kind of make it semi-modular on that side as well. So that was fairly complicated. And then in terms of, but the, in other aspects, we tried to simplify things. So new cipher and keep, you know, both started back 2017, 2016, when like this sort of the staking ecosystem was, was much less mature and, and less sophisticated. And so there were certain design choices that we made that, you know, I think were the right choices at the time, but just you know, weren't the direction that the industry went in. So for example, in, in the new cipher staking um, mechanism, you would pre-specify at the time of staking how long you wanted to stake for. And the longer that you pre-specified up to a year, like the higher the rewards you would get. But in the ensuing years since then, like the way that you know, most networks have moved is like you, you just stake. And then like when you want to stop staking, you do like an unbond um, type of transaction and then like it counts down. Um, so we, we, we took some of the learnings from, you know, from running new cipher and keep um, and try to simplify uh, threshold staking in, in, in some of those ways to more closely align just with, with what stakers are used to from interacting on other networks and how other networks have, have sort of uh, what the direction that they've gone in. So there's more of like a, so threshold does have that more like vanilla staking and then unbonding type mechanism. Um, and then I think it was also an opportunity for, for the communities to basically rethink how they approached inflation. And in, in New Cypher, basically, there was a, a pre-specified uh, inflation curve and, and decay rate um, that was just hard-coded and, and locked in, more or less. Um, whereas in Threshold, I think we learned like there's value in having some ability to like turn the knobs on that. Um, not you know for us as a team to be able to do that, but for the DAO and for you know, the token holders collectively to be able to uh, be be more responsive to to market dynamics. So like you know if there's a new application, maybe you want to point additional rewards towards that application to help it bootstrap. If there's an oversupply of node operators at some certain point, maybe you want to pull back on on inflation. Um, to kind of triangulate towards more your your ideal number of, of node operators. Um, so we built in some flexibility for the DAO to sort of more ha have more like explicit social uh, authority to be able to to do that subject, of course, to like a, you know, a, a vote and a, and a DAO proposal. Um, but that was one of the, the major changes there as well. That's great. And then like for people who want to run a node on, on Threshold, like like who, who can participate there and like how, how does it work in detail? And is there also yep. like a, a delegation mechanism? And yeah, maybe walk us a bit through the um, details of like staking on Threshold. Sure. So staking on Threshold is entirely permissionless. Uh, the, the minimum stake right now, and this is subject to DAO governance, so it, it can be tuned in the future. But currently, uh, the minimum stake is 40,000 T. Uh, so fairly, fairly approachable. Uh, and the way staking works is that you, you stake once into the network and then you, you will authorize the different applications that you want to run. So let's say like you want to just maximize the rewards that you're making. And I expect this is what most people will do. They'll just, they'll stake and then they'll authorize all the applications. So they'll authorize proxy re-encryption. They'll authorize the random beacon. They'll authorize TBTC and you can reuse that stake across all applications. So it's not exclusive. You don't have to pick and choose. You can just do, do them all. Uh, and then 
once you've authorized, that basically means you've committed to, to operating a node for each of those applications. Um, so in the short term, you'd, if you opted into all of them, you'd run the new Cypher code base for proxy encryption. You'd run the keep code base for TBTC. And I think our, our long-term vision is that there'll be some shared specification for the network at some point in the future. And each of the different clients would run all the applications. So we'd have a diversity of, of people running the new Cypher client and the keep client, but those clients would run all the applications, but that's more of a, a longer term uh, a stretch goal. Um, and so the current, yeah, that's how that works. Um, you can, there's not delegation in the sense that like you can stake and then delegate to multiple people delegating to, to a, a single provider. Um, but you can, of course, you know, engage with like a, a staking infrastructure provider um, of which there, there are many that operate on, on the new Cypher Keep and, and now Threshold Networks like Bison Trails, Figment, um, you know, very many. Uh, and they can operate the node for you or on your behalf. Um, and that would be uh, not in a custodial way. So like you, you maintain control over, over your staking address and you can like bond to a node that's operated by, by one of those providers. Um, and then I, I expect there will probably also be some custodial pools, uh, like there were, were for new cipher. So Coinless, for example, ran a custodial pool where you, you could just basically send your, your tokens to them. They would stake them for you, take a cut of the rewards and then distribute the rest. So I expect that there will be similar, uh, similar pool providers on, on threshold. Um, and theoretically, I think it would be possible to build like a, a semi decentralized sort of uh, pool um, if someone wanted to take that on as a, as a project. Call to action right there. Let's hear it, guys, in the chat. <laughs> and just a quick reminder for everyone listening to today's episode, if you can just ask some questions in the chat. I see a lot of Korean comments pouring in. If you just uh, save us some time and translate that into English. It would be uh, definitely helpful for us. And McLean, getting back into it here. So um, give us your best vision on what a world would look like in which Threshold Network is ultra successful. Yeah, so I think our our vision for Threshold is that we we really want it to be um, just a platform for Threshold cryptography. So I think Threshold cryptography has a ton of super interesting, compelling use cases. A lot of which we talked about today for crossing asset bridges, for access control and data privacy, for like you know decentralized custodial type wallet type of applications. Um, and we want basically to provide to essentially have Threshold Network be the best platform to build any kind of Threshold cryptography application on top of. Um, I think in the short term, um, obviously like TBTC and providing on-ramps to DeFi for Bitcoin is a huge focus for us. Um, so I think we want, we want to help make Bitcoin continue to succeed and provide opportunities to actually use Bitcoin beyond just, you know, passively hodling it, which, which is great, but like people want to take out loans. They, we want to basically increase the, the, the GDP of the Bitcoin uh, ecosystem with CBTC. And then I think there's a ton of interesting projects right now building on proxy re-encryption. Just a few examples. Masterfile is building something called OpenDRM, which is um, sort of like a, a protocol for, for digital rights management. And so they're trying to onboard a lot of um, legacy companies and legacy brands that have very valuable IP that they might be a little bit reticent to like sort of put into the blockchain web three space and giving them a way to, to do that more comfortably while maintaining some, some degree of control over their IP. So I think they're launching pretty soon and that's a super interesting project. 
Uh, another one building on PRE is, is Creaton, which is essentially a decentralized Patreon or decentralized OnlyFans. And they're helping uh, creators monetize their content using that kind of like conditional access um, in exchange for payment that I mentioned before. Uh, another one is, is New Link, which is doing some inter interesting stuff with encrypted NFTs. Um, so I think we want to just continue to provide this sort of best-in-class suite of developer tools for consuming threshold cryptography and making it easier uh, for developers who aren't necessarily cryptographic experts to use threshold cryptography and basically have a set of nodes in the network that make that super, super easy for them to do. That's amazing. And so like, what, what do you think is going to be like the biggest challenges for you, like in the, in the go-to market, let's say. So like your, your strategy is like to really go like target developers and let people build applications on, on like make it easy for them to build applications on top of threshold network. And like, what's the strategy there to like attract yeah. like those developers and how, how are you going to achieve your goals? Yeah. So I think you, you're absolutely right that we view threshold as essentially like middleware or developer tools. And so it's very important for us to attract uh, applications and developers to build those applications on top of the network. Um, so we'll continue to do that. And we've had good success sponsoring hackathons, for example, like, you know, ETH, the ETH Global events and you know, Masterfile actually came out of, I believe, last year's ETH Denver. So we'll, we'll continue to be highly engaged uh, at hackathons and other sort of developer-oriented uh, events in, in the space. Um, but I, I think that is also the biggest challenge is that we, you're, if you're building an ecosystem or a tool for developers, you're, you're to a certain extent, you're reliant on those developers to build a successful application that in turn gets end users that drive demand for the network. And so there's this, a little bit of sort of, uh, uh, abstraction layer between you as the network and the end user that you're, um, that is challenging. Um, so we will probably very likely continue to build um, some of our own applications as well that we think are compelling. I think TBTC was you know, obviously one of the, the first examples of that. Um, Threshold USD uh, is another one that's, that's community driven. Um, but it, I believe we, we also are working on some ideas for, for proxy or encryption applications um, that either we will build um, as a development team ourselves or maybe like you know, put up as, as projects for, for the DAO and for community members to, to build. Um, so we want to kind of shrink that, that distance between, we don't want to be as reliant on, you know, third-party developers necessarily to have to build a successful application. Um, although that, you know, in the long term, of course, that, that is sort of the, the fundamental purpose of, of Threshold is we need to attract those developers and we need them to build successful apps. Build out the community and benefit from the network effect. Absolutely. And uh, what is, in your opinion, the future of other privacy tokens such as Zcash, Monero, et cetera? Do you think those will still uh, play a, ro a role here in the future? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think so. Threshold does not focus on like transaction privacy. Um, so it plays in a, in a very different space than does you know, Zcash and Monero, which I think are, are both very, very interesting projects. Um, I mean, I, again, like I, like I said before, like I think Zcash is, is, is super, super interesting. Um, I hope that, you know, I think they were one of the first examples of like, Hey, like you can take very novel, new cryptographic primitives and deploy them in production and get pretty significant adoption, uh, in the blockchain space relative to, you know, any other space. Um, so I think that that was sort of a great sort of, uh, initial sort of 
proof points and inspiration for a lot of us that came after Zcash to sort of start trying to deploy these novel cryptographic primitives uh, in the blockchain space. Um, I think now we're starting to see a lot of um, a lot of projects use ZKPs for trying to create private smart contracts. Um, there's actually a super interesting project by a former New Cipher uh, team member um, that's pre-launched, but they're using fully homomorphic encryption to kind of improve on this idea of using ZKPs for private smart contracts. And they'll probably be announcing more about what they're doing pretty soon. Um, so that's an interesting one to keep an eye on as well. Pretty cool. And like, what, what, what do you think, like, what, what's going to be the relation between like a uh, transactional privacy and like computational privacy or like, like something like threshold network? Um, like, are they going to work together in some way or uh, can they be complementary to each other? Um, sure. I mean, I could, I could, I could definitely imagine after TBTC v2 is launched, like, I think it would be super interesting to launch a, a, a T-Zek uh, or like a T-Monero. So like bridging, <clears throat> bridging Zcash or Monero over into so the DeFi space and providing yield opportunities for, for those tokens as well. Um, so that's, I would say that's, that's something that we've you know, thought about a little bit, but um, there's certainly a lot of, of potential areas for collaboration there. Yeah, absolutely. And now I want to excite the audience watching yet again. I want to see some emoji reactions in the chat here. Um, we have a, a slight bit of an announcement here. Some of you might already know this, but there are applications going live imminently on the Threshold network, uh, including proxy re-encryption in the next week or two. Stakers will be able to run nodes on the Threshold network and more applications in the coming months. So, um, McLean, do you want to just talk more about this announcement and more about the proxy re-encryption coming? Uh, very soon here. Yep. So like I, when, when I was describing like the, the staking model for Threshold before, right now you can stake into the Threshold network, but there are no deployed applications uh, yet to authorize to. Um, so in the next week or so, we'll be deploying proxy re-encryption as the first staking app. And at that point, uh, stakers will be able to authorize the proxy re-encryption app and they'll be able to start running these proxy re-encryption nodes and providing proxy re-encryption as a service to users of the network. Um, and actually one of the major differences between proxy re-encryption on NewCypher versus proxy re-encryption on Threshold is that in NewCypher, everything was ETH L1. Uh, so if you wanted to use proxy re-encryption as a developer and grant and revoke access to encrypted data, there was unfortunately a very significant uh, gas fee associated with that. So you'd have to pay essentially like $50 in gas to, to grant and revoke, even though like the actual policy itself you were paying to the network was probably like a cent or less. So basically like, unfortunately we, you know, when we were building new cipher, we didn't anticipate, you know, what ultimately ended up happening with Ethereum and it almost became like economically unfeasible to use PRE on, on L1. Uh, so uh, proxy encryption on threshold, well, the granting and revoking aspect, the, specifically the policy manager contract will actually live, the, well, the first one will live on, on Polygon. And then we'll also be deploying that, that po policy manager contract on other, other L2s uh, going forward. Um, so we'll be taking that, you know, that, that $50, you know, transaction gas fee down to, you know, hopefully just a, a few cents. Um, and I think we're very excited for that to open up, you know, a lot of, of or make proxy encryption more economically and financially feasible for, for many more applications than it, than it was before. Amazing. 
great stuff. Um, really looking forward to the to the next months here as well, especially the staking going live soon as well. Um, and then, uh, guys, like if you still have questions, just uh, drop it in the chat here. Um, we're going to move over to community <coughs> questions now. So if you got anything, just uh, drop it in the chat. Also, if you can keep it English, that would be very helpful. Um, and uh, like we have a question here from uh, the Artful Dodger um, asking about the recommended specs for uh, running a node. Um, so yeah, maybe you can walk us through that, like who can run a node, what are the requirements and so on. Yep. So this is actually um, a little bit tricky of a question to answer because of the way that Threshold is a modular application network. So the specs and the requirements for running a node will actually depend on, will, will vary from application to application. So the specs that you need to run a proxy or encryption node might be different from the specs that you need to run a random beacon node or a TBTC signer or some other future application. Um, and so like, as those applications launch, we'll have you know, more details on like the, the minimum specs for each of, each of the applications. Although I will say in general, like Threshold is focused on Threshold cryptography. And in practice, that means for the most part, uh, elliptic curve cryptography, which is not particularly uh, computationally intensive. So this is not, you know, you don't have to buy like some crazy mining rig um, in general to, to stake and run nodes on, on threshold. Um, I know with, with proxy re-encryption, people were able to pretty easily do it with, in some cases, like the free tier instance on, you know, uh, on different cloud providers. Um, so it is, it is generally like pretty accessible, um, but the, the, the exact specs will, will vary from, from application to application. And there's a very nice dashboard available that has links to all the docs needed to run these nodes. So uh, feel free, everyone watching, to dig into the docs as well. And we have a next question here. Uh, can I participate in coverage pools as well as staking T natively? Right. So, uh, so coverage pools and staking T are mutually exclusive. So when you stake T, that you can authorize all the different applications on the network, but coverage pools is not a staking application. So coverage pools is its own smart contract. You would deposit into that smart contract and then you would earn yield in exchange for basically uh, putting up your, your collateral as kind of this insurance backstop. Um, but you can't do you can't do both with the same token. You would need to you would need to to choose one or the other. Cool. Do, do you have any estimates on like the different types of incentives between like those two options there? Or yeah, so there's actually um, a pretty I believe it's on the governance forum. So there's a pretty long discussion on on how incentives or, or the inflation subsidy will look like on threshold. Um, I can try to find it after the call, um, but the short of it is that. Uh, we want to make sure that it's economically viable for smaller stakers to survive um, and, and be able to like, you know, be net positive by running a node um, and not just get bled out over time. Um, so there's this stable yield mechanism where like we try to target at least a minimum uh, yield percentage, uh, regardless of how many other people in the network are staking. Um, and I, I believe like the initial target that's being discussed right now is around 10% um, if you are authorizing all the applications on the network. Um, and then coverage pools, uh, I, I 
coverage pools hasn't been discussed as much yet what the yield for that will look like. But given that it is more of a passive activity um, that doesn't require like the, the active management of running a node, um, I assume it would be you know, some, some lesser amount than the, the max yield you would get for, for staking and running a node. And what are we looking at for an unbonding time, average unbonding time with threshold? Yeah. So I, this also varies application to application. I think there will be like a global uh, minimum unbonding time, but applications will have the ability to have to specify some like longer unbonding time potentially if needed. Um, but the, the global unbonding time period right now is uh, is two months. And these are all like semi-provisional numbers, of course, because like the applications haven't been um, officially deployed yet. So they, they could change uh, a little bit until then. Awesome. This is some really good information here. It looks like we've run through all the community questions. Uh, so McLean, where can people go to find more about the stuff you're working on and more about Threshold Network? Yep. So definitely check us out on threshold.network is the website. And I think there's a big revamp coming soon with a bunch more information and content uh, that'll be there soon. Um, if you're interested in getting engaged with the community and the DAO. So we didn't really talk about this today, but the Threshold DAO has a very significant treasury that it's, it's deploying uh, pretty aggressively as we start to, to deploy and scale these applications. And so there's a marketing guild, there's a treasury guild, there's an integrations guild. There'll probably be a developer's guild at some point for people wanting to build applications. Uh, you can, and all the day-to-day -day sort of work of the DAO happens in Discord. And so that's discord.gg slash threshold. So definitely hop in there if you want to chat with us or you know, think, you know, potentially do, do stuff for the, for the, for the DAO. Um, and then on, on Twitter, uh, the Marketing Guild runs our, our Twitter handle. Uh, it's at the T network uh, as well. Is there any like specific application developers you are looking for? Like, like who, who are you planning to like fund with the treasury? Like, do you, do you have any strategy there or like, yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so funding developers with the treasury is more of a case by case basis. Um, but we're very interested in people building on proxy encryption. We're also very interested on in people building um, like essentially like banking or financial primitives for, for Bitcoin. Um, so Threshold USD is a community project that is funded by the DAO. Um, so we do have a track record of being able to, to essentially allocate funds for, for, for community uh, projects. Very cool. You guys heard it here first on Staking Mondays, a call for the Threshold DAO applications. Uh, look forward to seeing what will be built in the coming years, coming months, uh, for sure. And for everyone watching, be sure to check out previous episodes of Staking Mondays available on YouTube and Spotify. Subscribe to our channel, like this video, and feel free to share it around to all your friends as well. Thank you so much, uh, McLean here for joining us today. And as always, guys, happy staking. Take care. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.